we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Mark 16 and verse 15. We'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 20. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name, Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's pray together. Our fathers, we come to your word this morning. We pray that the Spirit of God would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would enable me to communicate your truth and your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to people's hearts and help them to respond in obedience to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to note the phrase that we find in in verse number 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 28 and we saw the emphasis of Mark 28 was that the disciples would go and make disciples. That process of making disciples involves the preaching of the gospel the baptizing of those who follow Christ, and then teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded us. But what we find at the very essence of what we call the Great Commission, what is the essence of our mission endeavor as a church, is that we make disciples. Well, in Mark, we have another record, another incident where the Lord gives this commission to the disciples And the emphasis in this passage is on the fact that they go and preach the gospel. That they go and preach the gospel. Of course, preaching the gospel is involved and integral to making disciples. That's the overall overarching mission of the church, that we make disciples. But in order for us to do that, we understand that we must preach the gospel. And I want to encourage you today to take up your responsibility to preach the gospel. All of us who know the Lord are a part of his church. The church is a group of baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together to carry out the work of the Great Commission. So that is all of the people in this room who know the Lord Jesus Christ, all of you who are a part of the Tabernacle Baptist Church have been commissioned with a responsibility to preach the gospel. 
Now, not all of you, in fact, many of you will not stand in, in front of the congregation and preach a sermon, but I want you to know that you have an opportunity uh, with your friends, with your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, and people that you encounter on a daily basis, you have an opportunity, and let me say you have a responsibility to proclaim the message of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. We live in a world that's filled with bad news, and we need desperately in our world good news. When the Lord Jesus was born uh, in Bethlehem, the shepherds were in the fields at night, and they were tending to their flocks. Well, the birth of Christ could not go unannounced, and so God sent his angels to announce the birth of the babe, the son of God. And the message of the angels was this, behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy. And this, this good tidings, this good news, and by the way, that's exactly what the word gospel means. It means good news. Uh, this good news needed to be proclaimed unto all the world. And I want you to know that this good news of the gospel still needs to be proclaimed to all the world. And we have a responsibility as a part of the church, as members of the body of Christ, to support the function of continuing to proclaim the message of the gospel. And so may the Lord help us today to assume the responsibility that he has given that we would go and preach the gospel. Now, as we go, I want you to note some things that we find in this passage that help us understand why it is we should go and how it is we should go. First of all, I want you to see that we go with the command of Christ. We go with the command of Christ. Notice in verse number 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to know that God is concerned and has a heart for every creature. And the gospel, as, as, as the angels announced the birth of Christ, good tidings to all men, I want you to know that the gospel is for all men, that Jesus Christ came to make the payment of the sins of all men. And the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And so the church has been commissioned, you and I have been commissioned to preach the gospel to every creature. And so we go with the command of Christ. This is not an option for us or a suggestion. This isn't something that we decide to do if we, uh, if we find it convenient to do. No, we must make the choice as a church and as individuals. We have to make the choice to go with the command of Christ. And so the word go is significant here because it requires movement. It requires that you and I rise from our comfort zone. It requires that we go beyond what is comfortable to us and what is convenient for us and that we intentionally engage people with the thought that they need to hear the message of the gospel because that is the heart of God that they hear the message of the gospel. And so we go in obedience and, and we move, we move beyond our, our comfort zone and, and what we would define as our own capabilities. We go in faith. 
We go in confidence with the message of the gospel, and we continue to proclaim the gospel, though there are those who do not receive it. There are those who are ridiculing us for proclaiming it, yet we are to continue to proclaim the message of the gospel. So we go. That's the first word of action for us. And then preach, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to tell somebody what Jesus did for them, to to explain to someone what the Bible says about sin, what the Bible says about Christ's sacrifice and how he made the payment for our sin on the cross of Calvary, to tell them of our own personal experience, how that we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a powerful tool we have in our testimony and in the proclamation of the gospel. We are to preach it. Our life is to preach it. Our our lips, uh, we preach the gospel with our lips as well as with our life. And so may we boldly proclaim the message of the gospel. Now, Paul embraced this responsibility. I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to Romans chapter number one. Because Paul gives us an example, a pattern for us to follow, in that he assumed his responsibility to proclaim the gospel. You remember that Paul was persecuting the church in the book of Acts. He he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was zealous in the religion of the Jews. A law keeper, a law teacher, and he hated the church and he hated Christ. And he sought to persecute and stop the church from moving forward. And on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute the church, to to, to try to keep them from proclaiming the gospel, on the road to Damascus, he had a confrontation, a meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord revealed himself to Paul, and Paul became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul was radically, wonderfully saved, his sin forgiven, his destiny settled in heaven. And Paul never got over the fact that God saved him. I hope you haven't gotten over that, by the way. The fact that God, in love, sent his son to make the payment for your sin and mine. The fact that he drew you to himself and he saved you. What a glorious truth. And Paul never got over it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 14 Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Notice this statement that Paul makes in verse 14. I am debtor. Now, we understand the concept of being a debtor. That means you owe a debt to someone. The apostle Paul did not believe that he was free to live his life any way he chose to live it. Boy, that, that, that really runs contrary to the thinking of this world, doesn't it? I mean, what we're told in this world is, hey, you do what you want to with your life. Make it what you will. Uh, you know, nobody can restrain you or restrict you. I want you to know that Paul walked around with a burden on him, a burden of debt. The debt was this. As one who had received the message of the gospel and the grace of God, as one whose sins were forgiven, Paul understood that he had a responsibility having received the grace of God, to be a vessel to dispense the message of the gospel and to see others experience the grace of God and salvation. 
So he, 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 his life was guided by this burden that was on him that, that, that helped him understand, I owe a debt to all society having received the message of the gospel. I need to proclaim that message to a lost and dying world. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. As the apostle Paul walked the streets of Jerusalem and the streets of Athens and the streets of Corinth and the, and the streets of Thessalonica, as, as he walked through Ephesus, as he encountered the people there along the way, whether they were the upper, uh, upper uh, crust of society or, or, or the lower class of society, whether they were cultured and refined and educated or, or whether they were poor and, and, and in bondage, whatever the case may be, Paul understood something, that Christ came to die for every man and that every man needed to hear the gospel and he lived under the responsibility, the debt that he owed to speak to people concerning the message of the gospel. He didn't get over it. Then he made this statement in verse 15. So as much as in me is, here's another one, I am ready. He said, I'm a debtor. But now he says, I'm ready. Knowing that he owed this debt, he was ready to pay it. I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. It means I'm willing, I am eager, I am prepared to share the message of the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing? Are you willing? You know, there are a lot of people in church who would say this. Well, pastor, I, 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 need, I know somebody ought to go and talk to my neighbors. It's just not me. I, I'm just not good at that. It's just not my gift set. I, I want you to know that God has commissioned you to be a witness now, you, you may not be able to, to, to preach a deep theological sermon. You, you don't have to do that. God didn't call you to do that. He just simply called you to talk about him and tell others about him. It, it, it's not very difficult to take a, a packet of gospel tracts and hand them out and say, I'd like to ask you to read this when you have some time. It's not difficult for you to say, you know, I, I, I used to struggle with this or that, but, but I, I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. And, and yes, I still have struggles, but I know the Lord has forgiven me of my sin, and I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. You may not have all the theological depth of all of these statements. You may not have memorized every portion of Scripture that has to do with salvation. You may not be able to answer every question that a skeptic may have, but you know you met Jesus, and the Lord said, you shall be witnesses unto me. So you can speak of him. Are you ready? Are you willing? Paul said, I am ready. Verse 16, we find another statement. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I think some people don't speak for Christ because they're embarrassed. They don't want the ridicule. They don't want the reproach. They don't want people to know that they go to church or that they believe the Bible. May God help us. He was not ashamed of us and his, was not ashamed to go to the cross and, and suffer our, 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 our sin and our death on the cross to, to, to suffer the shame and reproach of being tortured and spat upon and whipped with a, a, a cat of nine tails, a, a special instrument designed to, to bring torture uh, to 
uh, its victim. To be stripped naked, to be mocked and to be ridiculed and to be hung upon a cross, the Lord Jesus loved us. He was not ashamed of us and was not ashamed to go to the cross for us. May God help us not to be ashamed of him. You see, we go with the command of Christ. And Paul, understanding that command, said, I'm a debtor. I'm ready. I'm willing. And I'm not ashamed. This is a command that is given to all of us who know the Lord Jesus. But secondly, I want you to see, not only do we go with the command of Christ, but we go with the concern of Christ. Verse 16 He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What a glorious thought. I remember as a seven-year-old boy when I heard the message of the gospel at a Bible school assembly. I had heard the gospel before. I was raised in a Christian home. But God spoke to me by his spirit that day, and I understood my need for salvation, and I received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I was saved. I thank God for my salvation. My sins are forgiven. I have a home in heaven. I have fears and sometimes I have doubts and I have troubles and and, uh, difficulties and I wonder about the future and I I, I wonder about my family and I pray for them and, and, and I want for things to go well for them, for my country, for my church. Uh, but here's what I understand. The Lord is my shepherd and he's teaching me this. He's going to take care of me. And even if the things that I don't want to befall me, befall me, it's all going to be okay. I'm on my way to heaven. But do you know there are a multitude of people in this world who don't know the Lord? Their sins aren't forgiven. They have no home in heaven. And when they die, if they die in their sin, they're going to be separated from God for all eternity in a dreadful place called hell. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you're a Christian, you're not going there? You know, when you don't think you have anything to rejoice about, rejoice about that. Do you think that you are special? That God just seemingly loves you more than anybody else? No, he loves everybody in this world. And he desires to save everybody. But aren't you grateful that he went to such measures to save you and to call you to himself, to reveal to you who he is, to send the Holy Spirit to convict you and to convert you. Aren't you grateful for that? What a glorious thing it is to see God save lost souls. We rejoice in it. We thank God in it. We understand that it is the very purpose for which Christ came. He said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus, is come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm so glad that though I was lost, he came to seek me. And thanks be unto God, he came to save me. That's the purpose that he came. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
Why did he come? To start a religion, to start a movement, to start a political party? Absolutely not. He came to save sinners. And all of us are sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's no other way to heaven but through the Lord Jesus who died for us and made the payment of our sin. And if we believe on him and call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our sins are removed. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. Death gives way to life. I have a home in heaven. I have something to be thankful for. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? May I ask you a question? What's more important to God than a human soul? Nothing. What's more important to you? It could be comfort. It could be convenience. It could be that you just want to be left alone. It could be that other things have become a precedent in your life, but you're not concerned with what's concerning to Christ. The souls of men. Do you ever think about people who have died and gone to hell? What they're suffering. What they're thinking. Do you ever think of that? As you see people, do you think about, will that person go to heaven or will that person go to hell? And Jesus went to Samaria to meet a woman of Samaria. He knew she would show up at the well at a certain time. He knew that because he's God. He knew who that woman was before he ever showed up that day to meet her. The disciples wondered, why is he going this way? I mean, why, why, we're, we're going to Galilee, and, and, and he's going through Samaria, and, and what in the world? I mean, why is he doing this? And this is really not convenient, and, and, and it's a difficult journey. And, and, but the Bible said he, he must needs go through Samaria. And, and when he got there, who was he, who was he waiting to meet? He was waiting to meet a woman who was a Samaritan. Now, remember, there was racial enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. But Jesus loved her. He loves all people. All people. No matter what color their skin is, no matter where they came from, Jesus loves all people. All this racial strife and division in our world, I want you to know it's the result of sin, and much of it is man-made. When we get to heaven, we're going to worship at the throne of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be every country and every kindred and every tribe gathered together, hand in hand, arm in arm, worshiping in the name of Jesus. As a Christian, as a believer, we should reject all of this, this, this division in our world. This talk of race. And we should not harbor any attitude of racism in our hearts. It's a sin against God, an affront against the God who made every man in his own image. And with one blood, all of us have descended.
Jesus went to Samaria. And this woman came to the well. By the way, she she wasn't the kind of woman you might want to associate with. She had been married five times. And she was living with a man who was not her husband. I can only imagine the backstory. Maybe there was abuse, suffering, mistreatment. Maybe she was immoral and wicked. Maybe all those things converged together. But no matter how you spin it, she was rejected by society. But the Lord received her. And he loved her. You see, he has a concern for all souls. He sailed across the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side. And what did he do when he got there? <laughs> he went to a man who was a lunatic, possessed of many devils. And he went there for one reason, to deliver that man from that demonic oppression that had vexed him for many, many years. Why did he do it? Why did he come because he has a concern for all people. Jesus Christ did not come to send us to hell. He came to deliver us from it. As a result of our sin, we're separated from God. We're dead in our sins. But Jesus came to reconcile us to himself and to give us eternal life. That is his concern, and that is the reason that you and I need to go. We need to go with the concern of Christ. So evaluate in your mind what are your concerns and what keeps you from obeying Christ's command. And how do we need to bring my concern and your concern into line with God's concern? May the Holy Spirit speak to us. Thirdly, we go with the confirmation of Christ. Now, these are difficult verses, and there are a lot, there's a lot of doctrinal significance. A lot of people have mistakenly misapplied or, or misunderstood these verses. And I don't have a, a, a lot of time to, to give you an in-depth explanation. Just understand that the point of these verses is that God has confirmed the authority of his word and the authority of the apostles through the signs and wonders that followed. Look in verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Jesus, when he was on this earth, cast out devils. I, I just talked to you about the maniac of Gadara. In Acts chapter 16, uh, when Paul was at Philippi, uh, a young woman who was possessed with the spirit of divination would follow Paul and his companions through town and, 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 and shout at them and, and proclaim that they were messengers of God. And Paul was so vexed by this possession of this woman, he turned to her in, in, in verse 18 of Acts 16. And Paul, the Bible says, being grieved, said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. He cast the devils out. The Bible says in verse 17 again, in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. Would you write this reference down? Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. The Lord Jesus 
had told them to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so they waited in the upper room. And at Pentecost, when people from all across the world came to Jerusalem to keep the feast, the Holy Spirit of God appeared as the sound of a mighty rushing wind and as cloven tongues of fire, he set upon the heads of the believers. And the Bible says in Acts chapter number 2, And verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the Bible says that when those who heard these disciples speaking in these other tongues, these other languages, verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans, and how we, or how hear we, Every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt, in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. That's a long list, isn't it? Why does the Lord go to all that trouble to tell us that? Because he wants us to understand there were people there from all across the world and they all spoke different languages. But when the Spirit of God came upon the disciples, they spoke in the languages of those people. Notice what they said in the close of verse 11. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Why was the gift of tongues given to the apostles and to the church? It was given so that the gospel could be proclaimed to all people. Now, we understand that Paul says that, there, that tongues will cease. By the way, a tongue, tongues, biblically, was a language that was clearly understood. Much of what people pass off today, in fact, m- the majority of it, is gibberish. God is not the author of confusion. These people were speaking languages. And why were they doing that? Because God was giving them power that authenticated the message. Now remember when Jesus in the book of, in the gospel according to John, John writes this of the Lord Jesus that he had done many wonderful things. In fact, his miracles were too numerous to even write in a book. But this is what he said, these things are written that ye might believe on the name of the Son of God. These miracles are recorded because they authenticated his identity, who he was, the Son of God, for no man had ever done anything like that and ever has since. And so they gave authority to who he was. They revealed visibly who he was. And this is what is happening in the apostolic age, the beginning of the New Testament church. And so they spoke in tongues. He goes on to say this, they shall take up serpents. By the way, you will never find in the Bible any passage where somebody grabs a snake and takes it up. That happens. That happens. People take snakes in their hands. God never told anybody to do that. The only incident we have of someone being bitten by a snake in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul, who was kindling a fire. After the shipwreck, 
They, were, they landed on the island of Melita, and the people uh, were very kind to them, and they kindled a fire to warm them after they had come out of the water. You remember they had to swim to shore, and uh, they had gone through a great storm. And so they were all gathered by a fire, and the Bible says that a viper came out of the heat and fastened on Paul's hands. Verse 5, he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm, and they were amazed by it. They thought, I don't know who this is. In fact, they tried to worship him as a god, but he said, no, I'm not a god. Jesus is the son of God, and he proclaimed the message of the gospel to them. But when they saw that, they realized there was something different about this man, Paul. Then he says, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. You will not find any record in the Bible of someone drinking something deadly intentionally. That's not a good idea. <laughs> okay. That's a really bad idea. And if you drink something deadly, don't be surprised if you die. I th these signs were given, I think, to show that the Lord protected his people. And they, again, gave credence to those apostles. Now, there were a lot of people who took a pen and paper in hand and started writing things and saying, well, this is what, this is what God wants revealed. And the church was, was, was threatened by false prophets and false teachers, and there were many who claimed to be Christ. So these sign gifts authenticated the messengers and authenticated the message. And what did they lead to? Well, I want you to know what they led to. They led to you and I having the word of God. It's been confirmed. It's been tried. It's been proven. It's been authenticated. And we can go with confidence in the confirmed message of the word. He said, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, there are a lot of people out here who want to raise money and tell you they have the gift of healing. Don't believe it. Now, there are doctors and there are Christians who, who can help us with health things. And, and I know uh, you can, you can you, lots of varied opinions about how to treat certain conditions. But we don't have faith healers around here. And beware of that. But the apostles in Acts chapter 5, you can write it down, verses 12 through 16, they healed the sick. Again, authenticating the message. The point of this passage is not to debate whether or not these things should happen today, although those apostolic gifts have ceased because that which is perfect is come, the word of God. The point of this passage is to show the power of the gospel and that God confirmed the message of the gospel that it was authentic. And you and I today can go in confidence knowing that the message of the gospel saves souls and changes lives. So we go. We go with the command of Christ. But we go with the concern of Christ. We go with the confirmation of Christ. And then lastly, as we close, we go with the companionship of Christ. I'm glad I don't have to go alone. Notice verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. The Lord Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens and he assumed his place 
on the throne, the right hand of God. There he rules. He is sovereign. Verse 20, and they went forth, that's the disciples, and preached everywhere. They obeyed. They went forth, go, okay, they went. Preached the gospel, okay, they went. To every creature, yes, they went everywhere. They obeyed the command. But notice what happens. As they obeyed, they were not alone. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. As they went, they had a companion. They had a co-laborer. It's the Lord Jesus. You say, I thought he was in heaven ruling. He was. Well, the Bible says he was with them everywhere. He was. That's God. He's boundless. He's limitless. And he is present. You say, Pastor, I'm too afraid to go to somebody I don't know and and strike up a conversation with them. And what if they have questions that I I can't answer? And I don't, I don't, I haven't memorized all the scripture about, about how to present the gospel. And by the way, you should make a project of doing that. You should make a project out of doing that. Take a gospel track. Learn a logical presentation of the gospel. Memorize the passages. Tell people what Jesus did for you. Invite them to church. Take them out for a meal. Invite them to your home. Get to know them. Befriend them and love them. And know this, that as you go, you're not alone. You have a companion, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is with you, and he will enable you. He will enable you. So trust him. What did Jesus say in Mark 16? He said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.